Do you bring with you today any guilty stains? Lose them all, for there is a fountain filled with blood that can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That one is Jesus. We're here today to speak of him, to fellowship with him, to commune with him. Let's go to his word to do that. Our scripture passage today comes from Philippians as we continue in our series, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Please stand for the reading of God's word. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is truth, that it has the power to pierce into the inner depths of our hearts. So Lord, we invite your spirit to speak to us through your word today. Continue this work that you have begun of transforming us to look like our beautiful Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. Please be seated. As I was preparing this message this week, number three in our series, joy in these times. I was forced, as preachers and teachers always are, to do some self-examination. Where am I in my daily experience of the joy that Jesus offers his people? Am I living out a joy-filled life right now, or have other influences crept in my life to rob me of that? How about you? Are you living in joy? Remember that as has been preached even the last couple of weeks that this isn't some kind of happy-go-lucky, everything is wonderful emotion that we muster up within ourselves. No, it is something that is deep and abiding, a satisfaction and a contentment that is not dependent on other people, and it's not dependent upon my circumstances. But it is dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit in my heart. Pastor and author John Piper gives this definition in relation to a study about joy in the book of Philippians. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. 
I might add to that that like all of the fruit of the Spirit that the Bible speaks of, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The joy is a discipline that is forged over time as we sit in relationship with Jesus. Paul had dedicated his life to the advancement of the gospel, the good news about Jesus saving sinners, and that was perhaps one of his greatest sources of joy. Nothing, not even being confined in the shackles of chains, could steal that joy from him. Following the opening in chapter 1, which our pastor preached on a couple of weeks ago, for the next 16 verses, including our passage today, Paul mentions the gospel in every sentence. He speaks of their partnership in the gospel, the good work of the gospel that had begun in them, that they together are partakers of the grace of the gospel. He speaks of the defense of the gospel and confirmation of the gospel, being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. He tells us that his circumstances have served to advance the gospel, as we'll see today, and have made others more bold to speak the word. He speaks of preaching Christ, defending the gospel, and proclaiming Christ. There's no escaping Paul's fixation at the outset of this book, upon the good news of Jesus Christ. He's consumed with it. First, we see in our passage today that Paul was rejoicing in the advance of the gospel in personal suffering. Look again at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What is Paul referring to when he says, what has happened to me? What had happened to him to get him to his current situation? Well, clearly it was something that Philippians knew about because he didn't spell it out for them. As we've established in previous weeks, the consensus and what's generally agreed upon is that Paul was writing this letter from his first imprisonment in Rome. The events that led up to that are given to us at the end of the book of Acts in chapters 21 through 28. This is after his third missionary journey. He has returned and comes back to Jerusalem. And I'll remind you that on that journey, it also included his second visit to this church in Philippi. But back in Jerusalem, he was captured and put on trial by the Jews. As a Roman citizen, subsequently, his case was kicked up the ladder to the Roman authorities in the region, and he spent a couple of years under house arrest in the coastal town of Caesarea, during which time there was concern about an assassination attempt should he go back to Jerusalem. Well, as a Roman citizen, Paul had the right to make an appeal to Caesar in Rome, kind of like our Supreme Court here in the United States. His request was granted. And that began his long journey to Rome. En route, on a ship, he experienced a wreck and was stranded on the island of Malta for three months. 
He finally was able to get another ride and head off to Rome. And there he finds himself under house arrest again, changed, chained to a guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And about two years into this confinement, he writes this letter in response to generous gifts that the Philippians had sent him while he was confined. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What an amazing perspective Paul had. As he was being unfairly persecuted for his faith, suffering needlessly, we might be inclined to say, he was able to rejoice that in his suffering the gospel was advancing. Paul understood that nothing happened to him that wasn't part of God's sovereign will for his life, and that no matter how bad things looked, the good news about Jesus was always moving forward. Additionally, Paul was rejoicing because he saw the advance of the gospel in the lives of the lost around him. It had always been Paul's intent to go to Rome, to preach, to be with the church there, to encourage them. He was confident that the Lord wanted him to go there and wanted him to do that, to help in the growth of the church. But I don't imagine that Paul envisioned that the circumstances he had experienced was going to be the how of how God got him there. But here he was, chained up, unable to meet with the church in Rome, unable to preach in the public square. But look at what he did have access to. In verse 13, so that it, referring back to the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The imperial guard consisted of some 9,000 highly trained elite guards that were part of Caesar's household. Think of it as the secret service here for our president. Paul, an insignificant promoter of a Jewish religious sect, at least as far as the Romans were concerned, would never have had access to the household of Caesar under normal circumstances. But as they rotated shifts, being chained to him, he had a captive audience in these elite guards with which to share Christ. They couldn't escape him. And the word about this Jesus and his gospel spread through the ranks and throughout the household of the supreme leader of the Roman Empire, making converts that would have otherwise been unimaginable. And lest we forget, Rome would become the center of Western Christianity for more than a millennium. Paul wouldn't live to see that explosion of Christianity, but he had confidence that God was advancing the gospel even in his suffering. Well, how do you think the Philippians resonated with this account from Paul? This idea that the gospel was advancing through Paul's imprisonment. Well, remember the church at Philippi was, for all practical purposes, born 
out of Paul being in jail there. We find in Acts chapter 16 what is probably the greatest failure of escape in the history of jailbreaks. Paul and his companions had started a house church there with their first convert, Lydia, and her family. Sometime shortly after that, they encountered a demon-possessed girl. Paul exercised the demon out of her, but she was a moneymaker for her owners in her ability to tell the future. So they got mad. So they decided to bring charges up against Paul and Silas for disturbing the peace. They were beaten and thrown into jail. And then the story picks up here. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. It really doesn't take much speculation to imagine that the Philippian jailer and his family were probably at church the day Paul's letter arrived and was being read aloud to everybody. And when hearing Paul talk about the church advancing in Rome because he was in prison, again, certainly wasn't a surprise to those folks. In my sanctified imagination, I can hear the jailer say, I hope for the Praetorian Guard's sake that Paul doesn't burst into song. Paul could rejoice, even in his imprisonment, he saw the advance of the gospel in the lives of the lost. Thirdly, Paul found himself rejoicing in the advance of the gospel in the witness of the church. In verse 14 we read, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. We might be inclined to think that Paul being in chains for preaching about Jesus would drive the rest of the church in Rome underground in fear. Interesting, then, that we should read him saying just the opposite. His being persecuted emboldened others in telling the world about Jesus. This, of course, has been the story of the church through the ages. God seems to delight in growing his church in places where the persecution of his people is the greatest. Where in the world today would you guess that the church is experiencing the most growth? 
Well, it's not in North America, not in South America, not in Europe. A quick internet search will bring back consistent results from many sources on the topic of this question. Africa and Asia. Countries like Iran and China, where Christianity is illegal. Muslim countries in Africa, where being a Christian will cost you your freedom or maybe your life. These are the places where God's kingdom is exploding right now. This should be great cause for rejoicing for God's people. We should celebrate and give God praise for the advance of the gospel and the boldness of his servants here and around the world. The last point on your outline is rejoicing in the advance of the gospel, period. Full stop. Let's read again in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. There were those in the church at Rome who loved Paul and were carrying on the work of ministry with goodwill in their hearts for him. But apparently, there were also some that were happy that Paul was in prison so that with him no longer in the limelight, they could advance themselves and be the center of attention as the preachers and teachers for their own selfish gain. But instead of raking them over the coals and calling them out by name, Paul seems to be content with that situation. Because, as he says, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Wow. Again, what an incredible perspective. Paul had come to a place in his life where he could set aside his personal ambition, his pride, and the praise of others for the sake of the gospel. There are a number of other places in his writings where Paul does call folks out. So what's the difference this time? Well, this time shows us that it's never about Paul and his pride. Because on the other occasions, when he is critical of his rival preachers, it is in response to their false teaching. They were preaching a perverted gospel and distorting the true message of Jesus. That is something that he's not going to stand for. But here they are apparently proclaiming Christ and his true gospel, and so Paul lets it go able to rejoice in spite of their wrong motives. At least Christ is being proclaimed. And that was Paul's bottom line. He could rejoice in the advance of the gospel, period, because it was the gospel that gave him joy. Next week, we begin our annual faith mission giving emphasis when we focus on what the Lord is doing here and around the world through your giving financially and through your prayers. 
It's going to be a great time of rejoicing as we see the advance of the gospel in the witness of the church around the world. Doesn't it excite you to think that God has called us to partner with so many different folks in so many different places and that we have a part in that? Our times of worship and fellowship are going to be a great encouragement to us and you're going to want to participate in everything that you can. Pray that the Lord would fill us with joy as we rejoice in what he's doing to build his kingdom in and through us. Well, I think it begs the question, kind of like I posed at the beginning, are we rejoicing in the advance of the gospel and the lives of the lost right now? Are you able to look past the immediate difficulty of your circumstances to see that God is using everything in your life to advance his kingdom? I have to confess that on more than one occasion over the last year, I have thought or said something like this. Man, I can't wait until this is all over and things are back to normal so that we can get back to the business of being the church. Even as I utter that right now, I am embarrassed and ashamed. What an incredible lack of faith that represents on my part. God delights to bring himself glory and to grow his kingdom during times just like this. It is not for us to determine the circumstances of our lives in which God will build his kingdom and glorify himself. It is for us to be faithful with the time that he's given us to our calling in all circumstances and to pray and work for the glory of God at all times. If Paul had waited to advance the gospel in the lives of the lost until he was out of prison, we wouldn't have these letters that he wrote from there. And the church in Rome wouldn't have expanded through Caesar's household as it did. If God could advance his kingdom through Paul's confinement in prison, is he not able to advance his kingdom through you and me in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in? If, like me, you're tempted to wait on better times for God to work in your life, instead of idly sitting by, Ask him to use you now and for the grace to see him at work in your weakness, in your confinement, in your isolation, in your suffering. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that when he asked the Lord to remove his suffering, God responded in this way. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I, Paul, will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." Brothers and sisters, our Savior loves to be our strength and weakness. How appropriate 
that we come now and sit together, shoulder to shoulder, as it were, around his table and feast upon him with great joy in the gospel. Perhaps as we come, some of you feel the confinements of your own individual spiritual or physical prisons. You believe that you're trapped, frozen, unable to break free, to find joy in your current circumstances. Your personal suffering is such that you can't even see the advancement of the gospel in your own heart, much less in the lives of others. If you're struggling to find the joy of the gospel, then ask the Lord to help you turn your attention away from your circumstances and towards the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't look within your brokenness and weakness. Look out to Jesus. The answer to a lack of joy in our hearts is the gospel. You will not find true joy in anyone or anything else. Not your spouse, not your children, not your possessions, your work, your vices or addictions, not even in yourself. So whether for the first time or for the 10,000th time, look to Jesus who died for you. Look to the cross, to the one who alone is sufficient for salvation. Find your joy in him, his person, and his work. Ask him to advance the gospel in your own heart today and to know him and the power of the resurrection. Our Westminster standards encourage us to respond today in these ways. Receive the truth of God's word with faith. Meditate on it. Talk to one another about it. Hide it in your hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in your lives. Find spiritual nourishment and growth in grace in this meal. Confirm in your heart your relationship with Jesus. Thank him that you are his and reflect on your love and fellowship with your brothers and sisters. Wait upon God, and as you affectionately meditate on his death and sufferings, stir up in yourselves a sorrow for your sin, an earnest hunger and thirst after Christ. Feed on him by faith, Receive of his fullness, trust in his merits, rejoice in his love, and give thanks for his grace. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what joy is ours for the taking! Work your joy in and through our hearts as we reflect upon the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this gospel. Thank you for invading our hearts with it and gloriously saving us. And thank you for calling us to proclaim it here and around the world. 
So, Father, as we come now to be fed by you, enable us to exercise faith. Give us your grace and mercy in the measure of our need. Help us, Father, as we commune with you to see Jesus and him only, we pray in his name. Amen.